Welcome to Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive, featuring conversations with performing artists and industry influencers on what it takes to succeed in the arts. I am your host, Diane Foy, and I believe that you really can make a living from your creative talents. As a publicist, podcaster, and coach, my mission is to educate, motivate, and empower you to thrive with authenticity, creativity, and purpose. Hello, and welcome to episode number four of Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive. My guest today is makeup artist Lucky Bromhead, who spends a lot of time with the gang from Schitt's Creek as the personal makeup artist to Catherine O'Hara and Annie Murphy. Lucky and I used to work together many years ago at MAC Cosmetics, where she was a trainer. She has worked backstage at Toronto Fashion Week, Fashion Cares, the Sundance Film Festival, and the Toronto International Film Festival, and she was also the head makeup artist at MTV Canada. She has had the pleasure of working with Bono, Kanye West, Elvis Costello, Cindy Lauper, and Alessia Cara. During our conversation, she gives valuable advice on makeup for actors on auditions and for musicians about being authentic. She shares her journey as an entrepreneur in the arts, and we have a great discussion about creativity and following your passions that I think you'll really appreciate. Our connection was a bit wonky during this interview, so bear with us if parts of some words get cut out. You'll get the gist of it. So I hope you enjoy it. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So we've known each other a long time. Um, I was thinking the other day, I think it's 1996. A couple of years ago. Since then, you've gone on to work with uh, a lot of different artists and have your more of a freelance career. Um, What have been some of the highlights? I've been doing it for 27 years. There's been a lot of highlights, really. I've been very fortunate. You know, with my years with Matt Cosmetics, definitely things like keying fashion shows and uh, taking part in like fashion cares, big AIDS uh, fundraiser. That was definitely a highlight. Also, meeting other makeup artists and being inspired by them, you know, that was a huge highlight of that portion of my career. Something most people think, oh, it's all about celebrities or whatever, but Actually, you know, your fellow artists are, are a huge part of... Yeah, and Mac was great back then. They offered so much training. We all became better artists, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I learned so much with Mac Cosmetics. When did you start with Mac? I started with Mac in, I think it was 1991 or 92. Were, were you fresh out of, like, makeup school? No, I actually... Uh, I didn't like technically go to a makeup school per se, but I guess we'll talk about that a little later. Um, but the, uh, you know, Mac was this like company that there was nothing like it before, not only products wise, but, um, you know, even their whole approach to makeup and all that kind of stuff. And they were hiring makeup artists and I had gone to an art school. And, you know, I was really drawn to it also because all of the people who worked for Mac looked so cool. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, I want to be one of them. (laughs) Yeah. And they weren't, uh, you know, your usual sort of like makeup counter ladies. Like they were 
cool people that looked like they had just stepped out of a nightclub or a runway or something. And um, I really wanted to be part of that. It was very exciting. And uh, yeah, so I, I remember going to the Mac head office um, here in Toronto and applying for a job. <laughs> oh, yeah. But before I went, I shaved off my eyebrows. As you do. Yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> That seems like a Britney move. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't any sort of distress. It was just that I really wanted to look like I was from the twenties, and there was that whole movement in the nineties that was kind of like a kickback to the the twenties. Yeah, with painted on eyebrows. Yeah, yeah. Everyone who you know knows someone from the nineties has uh, known someone who had an eyebrow fatality or two. So, uh, yeah, I went in there and with these tiny little eyebrows and I looked like I was from the twenties and, um, and, uh, <laughs> got the job. So that kind of, you know, that wasn't the start of, uh, where I was doing makeup, but it was definitely like a huge part. So, you know, getting a job at Mac definitely was a highlight at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And doing the, all the shows and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, at the time with that company, there was a lot of opportunity for growth as well. So I really took advantage of that and was very fortunate to have people believe in me. <laughs> you know? So you moved up the ranks and became a trainer? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and with that, I got to travel a lot and, um, you know, do a lot of fashion weeks and uh, meet a lot of people and you know it was almost like they were mac was like an agency sort of at the time right and together with that i also got to train other artists um all over north america so i met so many people that i still have a huge connection to today like you're one of them um and you know th those people branched out all over the world these makeup artists and um i'm still in contact with so so many of them and i'm so eternally grateful for that yeah it's always cool now when you when you look through a magazine or see something on tv it's like hey i know that makeup artist <laughs> and in some cases i know that actor or i know that musician because sometimes people that was their side job at the back. uh so you know there was just a lot of creativity going on there back in the day and it was really very cool so i was there for quite a few years and then um I decided to, you know, I had done my time there. I did what I, I needed to do. And then I moved on to uh, MTV, which was launching in Canada. I was the head of makeup there and did all of the shows that came out of that building. And there was a lot. When I became a publicist, I took artists to that show. I forget what it's called. MTV Live, was it? Yeah, that was one of the shows. Yeah, that was the show that the, um, that the musicians would uh, play on bands and musicians and stuff. There were quite a few shows. There was One Girl, Five Gays. There was um, The Hills After Show and The After Show and um, Movie Night and MTV Live, like you said. And oh, my goodness, we had so many shows coming out of MTV and I did the makeup for all of them. And so um, that was a highlight as well, working in live TV and learning how to work in live TV uh, was, you know, it was really like an episode of of 30 rock <laughs> and really really fun and crazy and also i got to meet some of my idols growing up and and do grooming and makeup on some of those people like 
you know, the Beastie Boys and uh, the cult and, you know, and then there would be these people who were these kind of up and coming people that, you know, would get thrown into your makeup chair and you really didn't know what was going to happen with their career. <laughs> they seemed talented, but, you know, some of them would sort of disappear and others would, you know, be the names that we know, like Adele and Rihanna. So that was a very cool experience. Oh, wow. Adele back then. Yeah. She was really funny. <laughs> we all loved her. But uh, yeah, so that was a very cool time. That's the thing. Like you, you get to know people a little bit while they're in your chair. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And it was really neat also. It kind of spoiled me a bit for seeing live music because, you know, the bands would do their sound check and there would be no one in the concert hall except for maybe their management. And I would always go up and watch regardless of who the band was or what the genre of music was. It was always something that was interesting to me. Yeah. So I would go up and watch the sound check and, you know, it would just be five people and me watching, you know, the Beastie Boys do a sound check or whatever. <laughs> it was kind of nuts. Yeah. And I've been in those situations too, where you're like, you're one of five people there and you're just, is this really my life? Yeah. And then they would finish the song and, you know, in your mind, you're hearing like a screaming crowd, but then there'd be like five people like clapping. <laughs> And you're one of them. You're like, how did I get in this room? Especially when it is someone that's amazing that you are a fan of. Oh, yeah. It's so cool. And then, you know, after that, after I left MTV eventually, I realized I had to, like, buy tickets and stand <laughs> stand in front of the stage. Like, often I would watch from the side of the stage as well while they were performing. Yeah. And suddenly I would have to, like, stand in a lineup and buy the ticket and be a normal citizen. <laughs> I was like, wow, I really got spoiled there. And I had no idea at the time how, how you know, absolutely fortunate I was. It was so cool. And were you with MTV until it was no longer in Canada? Or? Uh, pretty much. I left uh, just uh, before it went away. Is it still around? I don't even know. This is It's awful because I don't really watch that much TV. Like much music, it's just, it, it may be out there, it's just not the same. Right, right. I don't know how much original content they do anymore. So, yeah, but I left a few years uh, prior to, to, you know, it changing a lot and started my, like, full-on freelance career. Because even though I worked at Mac and I worked at MTV and, I, you know, uh, these places, I also freelanced on the side all the time. Because, you know, you kind of have this fear. It's freelancer's fear. What was that like going from, you know, steady paycheck to all of a sudden you have no idea when your next job is? Oh, well, at the beginning it was terrifying. <laughs> I won't lie. It was, I thought, what the, what am I doing? I was so used to kind of looking at my calendar and having all these, you know, when I'm supposed to work, whether it was on uh, the show or, you know, like job as a trainer or whatever. And then all of a sudden it was like tumbleweeds rolling across my calendar. <laughs> and I was so terrified, but I have to say that I'm, I, it's one thing that I sort of have to pat myself on the back about is, is that I kept freelancing, even though I had a full-time job because it kept my, um, you know, contacts out there in, you know, the quote unquote real world. Um, and so when I started freelancing, I, I reached out to all the people that I was freelancing with before 
And fortunately, I had also made a lot of contacts at MTV through record labels um, and, you know, actor management and stuff like that. So I reached out to those people and my freelance career picked up incredibly quickly within two weeks I was working regularly. So I only had two weeks of pulling my hair out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's what, better than a lot of uh, freelancers. Um, so along the way, have you, have you been steady ever since or has there been those downtimes? Yeah, no. Well, the downtimes now are self-imposed, which is um, a very nice position to be in. And uh, you know, I, I always feel like as soon as I say something like that, I look for something wood to knock on. <laughs> because as we all know, with our, our, our career, um, you know, things change. You, you never, there's no such thing as job security, even with a, you know, quote unquote, normal job. So, but you kind of feel it a little bit more as a freelancer. And, uh, um, but yeah, I just kind of, I just try to keep going and, only in the past few years have I been able to sort of go, okay, I need to take some time off because I'm tired or I need to be re-inspired or whatever. So um, only in the past little while, but, um, but yeah. And then I guess I should, you know, the other highlights in my freelance career have been obviously uh, Schitt's Creek, <laughs> which was, yeah, I was going to bring up that, like, you made such great contacts at MTV because, like, Dan Levy was part of the MTV crowd. Yeah. So, you know, um, I got to work with Dan and um, I still work with Jesse Cruikshank all the time as well, um, which is lovely. And uh, but, yeah, Dan, um, when he left MTV, I remember him coming back and saying, I never realized how important the vibe in the makeup room was. And how important it is to be around the artists in the makeup room that you feel like they are interested and they're invested. <laughs> because, uh, you know, <clears throat> there's some situations that lack that. And uh, so, you know, and then in turn, Dan introduced me to his dad. And then his dad, you know, takes me on some of his projects sometimes, which is so lovely. And, um, and then... Strangely, I started working with Catherine O'Hara separately from <laughs> all that gang. Oh, really? It wasn't even through Shit's Creek? No, we started working together on the, on a show that I keyed called Match Game. And she was a guest and she was there for three days and we just got along so well. And she took my card and, you know, we kind of started our, our relationship that way. And then, um, Fairly shortly, shortly afterwards, um, Shit's Creek came around and, um, Dan asked if I wanted to be part of it. And of course, <laughs> like he has to ask. It's a dream cast. And I, I said, you know, do you know who's playing the mother yet? And he said, yeah, Catherine O'Hara. And so I was going to reach out and see if, you know, she was interested in having a personal. And I was like, oh my God, I was just working with her. This is amazing. So, you know, it all kind of really fell into place on its own. and. Um, lots of really fun things have happened through that as well. Like this past summer, Martin Scorsese, uh, um, did a SCTV reunion, um, documentary. Yeah. So, you know, I got to sit in a hotel room with 
Martin Scorsese and Catherine O'Hara and <laughs> her friend Margaret Overman, who's a brilliant writer, and um, and uh, the the girl who does this Creek, Anna Soris, and we <laughs> we hung out in a hotel room with Martin Scorsese. Like, what? What the? This is kind of crazy, right? Again, it's one of those moments that you're like, I'm really in this room, yeah. I, I often think like, you know, 12-year-old me growing up in my little hometown of Summerland, BC, I think if someone would have told me at that age and living there that I would be in this place right now, I would be like, ha, right. So on the set, that's some uh, pretty funny people that you work with on Schitt's Creek. <laughs> Do you just die laughing every day? Every single day. <laughs> Well, first it starts a makeup trailer, much to the chagrin of Eugene, who is just trying to sit in silence. And <laughs> but we we are all <laughs> oh, he's great. We all laugh on that trailer before we even get to the set. And then you know, I mean, everybody's so funny. Annie Murphy, my God, so funny. Chris Elliott, just every single person is so funny, and it's so incredible to watch them work. And honestly, we are laughing all the time. Every take is different. You never know what's going to happen. Everybody kind of keeps you on your toes. It's the most fun. It just it really is quite amazing. Wow. Yeah, it must be amazing to be around all that energy. Oh, yeah. And just watching how they how that energy bounces off of each other while they're winning. Uh, you know, Eugene and Catherine have like a 40 year relationship and then, you know, bringing in um, fresh, you know, like Annie Murphy and Dan and watching Dan and his dad together, watching Dan watch his daughter, Sarah, is the cutest thing in the world. <laughs> so, so it's fun to have that kind of family element on the show as well. And um it's it's just brilliant all around, really. And and it's such a, um, a wonderful crew as well because the cr the whole crew is so talented. The art department, the writers, the, the you know, like everybody is just so freaking talented. It's crazy. And, and the bar is raised so high. And you go to work every day striving to, to meet it, wanting to meet it, you know, like, being enthusiastic to get out of your comfort zone and do better. And it's an inspiring situation to be in. Yeah. And Catherine's character on there is like, it's always fabulous, you know, makeup and hair styles and hats and clothes and all that. Did you have any input in like creating the character's makeup? Yeah. Yeah. She's so I mean, I think that this is how it goes with most people. Um, I'm not sure, but uh, with Catherine, it's it's uh, she is a very collaborative person. She does have um, a very, you know, I think it maybe comes from her improv background or something. I don't know, but she's she's just a very open-minded person. She does have a clear vision of what she wants, but she's also interested to hear how you see things and how you interpret things. And um, I remember, you know, after reading the scripts, we sat down together and she said, who do you see when you see this woman? And I described what I saw and she was like, yeah, I'm on board with that. I'm, yeah, I see that too. So then we started doing makeup tests and, 
And, um, and, you know, we came up with Moira Rose, whose makeup doesn't change too much because we decided that there were a few things that Moira really had to hang on to because she just does not want to let go of who she was in her, you know, in the good years, <laughs> in the rich years. And, uh, so, you know, my interpretation of that was kind of how Anna Wintour never changes her hair, but you know, it's always in style and, and, uh, Moira's look is kind of something that's a smoky eye and a is a classic thing. Mind you, we exaggerate it a little bit <laughs> so that it's, you know, Moira, but, um, yeah, so <laughs> we decided that her look was something that regardless of she was, you know, going to buy groceries in, in Schitt's Creek or go to the, the cafe. Who are we kidding? When does she ever buy groceries? Why did I say that? She's always in the cafe. Even though she's going anywhere, she's going to put on that red lip. It, it's her It's her armor against the reality of living in that town. So uh, it was fun to do that. And then, you know, of course, there's the other people on the team, Deborah Hansen, and together with Dan Levy, uh, do the costumes. And um, I mean, everything that she wears is legit. It's, it's real. It's There's nothing knockoff designer. It's all real. And they're just so brilliantly curated and put together. And she, I love watching her, her you know, teeter around in the crazy Alexander McQueen heels through Schitt's Creek. It's just the most <laughs> fun thing to watch. And where do you shoot that? Uh, we shoot, well, in studio in Toronto for uh, the first bit of it. And then the on stuff is in um, Uxbridge and in a little town called Goodwood. Anna Soares has, you know, these amazing wigs and hairstyles and she and Catherine have a lot of fun collaborating on on those as well, and yeah, it's it's just we we laugh so hard in the trailer; it's criminal, really. And how long does the shoot last? Like, how many months are you shooting at uh, a time? We shoot about three months altogether. And then, and then, what do you do? Um, what other type of jobs fill in the rest of the year for you? Uh, well, I work on the Great Canadian Baking Show. Also with Dan, I try to, um, you know, I kind of go between from, from show to show if I can. Um, but in between I do other, I have other clients, you know, like Jesse Cruikshank and Alessia Cara and, um, you know, so I'll do shorter gigs with those people generally, unless I'm doing a show with Jesse. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of, uh, in between the shows that I'm doing, I will do uh, my other clients, like those people, or we'll do press days as well. Actors will come in to promote these, or musicians will be promoting um, an album. And so, you know, I'll do stuff like that. And that's fun too. Yeah, I want to ask you about working on set. I know, as being a makeup artist myself, that uh, there's always etiquette, professional etiquette when you're working with celebrities. So I wanted to ask, what do you think the do's and don'ts are for talent when they're working with a styling team? I think being honest in your communication and being articulate with uh, 
what it is you want and don't want and to treat every single person with kindness because and respect because um every person's job is important on the set so you know when you're going in fresh maybe you don't realize that the person who's bringing you coffee or whatever it's highly possible that in two years they're going to be the person hiring you because <laughs> things change very quickly in our industry and um and you you never know who you're talking to and even beyond that even behind a self-serving thing like that where it's like oh you only have to be nice to the people who are important um just being kind full people the more famous people that i work with the kinder they are they have high standards and they ex they have high expectations but the way that they treat people is um with respect so uh i found that too like the more famous the person is like they're just so amazing and sweet and then it's those mid ones that are just like the ego it takes over do you ever find that a makeup artist ends up being like an assistant yeah get me coffee get me this well it depends on the genre that you're working in because that that's not really going to happen on a film set because there's specific people dedicated to those specific jobs. So you would actually kind of be stepping on someone's toes who's been hired to <laughs> do those things. But there's definitely, you know, when it comes to especially the, the beauty team, their lines can get blurred, I think, because it is an intimate thing doing someone's uh, hair and makeup. And uh, you do become very close with people because you're around them for and not only around them you're right in their face for 16 hour days sometimes for months and months and so you start to know everything about them you know sometimes they rely on you for certain things just to you know provide a, a safe space for them and um all of that stuff is is great but i think that you also have to you know keep in mind that you're at work it's a job you know don't get it twisted and keep your 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 mind on what's happening the purpose of why you're there you're there to do the job and treating people respectfully is always going to be a win yeah if that's just your the way you are with everyone it's gonna spread that and the way you treat people is usually how they treat you too yes yeah what you give out is what you get back so do you have advice for I know like on set, you know, talent has the makeup artist, but a lot of actors might, well, when they're going to auditions, they got to do their own makeup, um, stage theater. I know they end up doing their own makeup. Um, do you have any advice for them? Example, if you're going to go to an audition, I think it depends on a few things as far as how you, how, how you take care of your appearance. Um, one is, where you are in your career so you know if you're if you're starting and you want to kind of be a blank slate and even though you're you're auditioning for a specific role you can do things with your hair and makeup that give a direction of of the character but i think if you really really camp it up or or go too strong in the direction of, of what you think the character is going to be it can limit you so i would keep it subtle but you know it's okay to give a bit of a of a flavor of the person that you're trying to depict because you also want to show them that you are 
easy to direct and you will listen to direction and, and maybe, you know, take on a completely different direction than the one that you came in with. But if you've already really made up your mind about what's going on with this character, sometimes that can work against you. And I, I know a lot of, um, a lot of actors that I know who go for meetings with people, you know, rather than having an audition, sometimes you go for like a lunch and they're, they're really just kind of seeing if they can see you as this person. And, and, uh, you know, I know that sometimes, uh, the actors that I know will just do this very subtle thing. Like if they're playing somebody from a certain era, they'll wear a skirt that kind of evokes that feeling or, you know, a little, a little hint of a red lip or something. You know what I mean? They're, they're not coming in character. They're, they're coming as themselves with a flavor of the character that they're hoping to play. And what about, um, makeup for headshots? Yeah. I think if, again, if you're starting, I think I would keep it as natural as possible. Not too trendy, not too heavy. Uh, obviously you want to look groomed, but, um, you know, I wouldn't go with any crazy trends like big eyebrows or crazy highlighter on your cheeks or <laughs> really bold colors or anything like that. Um, I think that that's the best way to be and just to look like yourself and sort of open, openly yourself. Unless, I mean, I, I also know that, you know, some people, if they're trying to change the direction of their career, like, you know, if they've only been playing one type of role for many years, they will do headshots that kind of look a little bit more grown up or more vampy or more, uh, you know, whatever the direction that they're trying to go. But again, it will be a flavor of something. It won't be, it won't be drag. <laughs> Because really, you need to you need to uh, you need to look like yourself. When you show up to that audition, they have to look at your headshot and look at you and say, "Oh yeah, that's the same person." If you've been made up and retouched to the point of not being recognizable, then that's not good. And what about for musicians who, you know, the character they're playing is often just themselves, so they wouldn't have the rules of keeping it simple. But do you have any advice for musicians or performers in creating their their look? Wow. You know, it's interesting because so many of the people that I admire, the strongest um, common thing that I can say about them is that they are undeniably themselves in whatever shape that takes. So if you're Bjork or you're Karen O or, you know, you can, you can, they always look like a, a work of art in a way, you know, like, and they do their makeup in ways that's kind of avant-garde. And I, I tend to admire the, um, the musicians and the artists who really listen to themselves because it's really easy to be put through sort of a machine. You know, like a publicity machine where you you are supposed to look a certain way. I do think it's important to to show up and to to care about what you're doing all the time. But um, I think it just that can mean different things for different people. Maybe maybe my advice would be um, 
to an artist like that is that if you're working like someone like a makeup artist, don't do anything that you're uncomfortable with. Sometimes, you know, there's certain makeup artists that, that really want to kind of put their stamp on you. And I think that it might not be who you are. So, you know, be, be vocal in saying what you do and don't want. Don't, don't let somebody impose anything upon you. Whether it's what you're wearing or how you're wearing your makeup or your hair or whatever, do, do what you feel is the expression of you is. This topic is pretty much the reason I got into coaching is that so many artists come to me for publicity and they're just not ready for, uh, they don't have their stuff together. And so I'm taking them through foundation of really getting to know who they are, what their values are, what looks they're comfortable in. And once you kind of figure all these things out, when you go to a, do a photo shoot or you do work with a makeup artist or a fashion stylist, you know exactly what you want. Yeah, and I think it's important to think about that as a performer and w what that is, you know, and because uh, you can have the opposite spectrums of things where you're someone who you're Alicia Keys who doesn't want to wear makeup anymore or you're, or, you know, Lady Gaga or you're, you know, you can there's room for all this stuff there's room for all of it um and more in terms of what your image is but it's important for you to know what that is and embrace it and stand in it so a lot of artists are entrepreneurs they have to be a freelance themselves um, what skills and knowledge should be a priority to acquire Budgeting is definitely important because uh, there are going to be those times where you're like, wow, how am I going to pay my rent? You know, when I started freelancing, I would make sure that my renting bills were covered and, you know, food and stuff like that um, were covered. And then I would try to save a little bit as well per month. And so, you know, even if something really went awry and I really wasn't working, that I would have a bit of a backup. So at least I would have money in saved up to cover those things in in the event of a dry spell or or whatever life brings you a family emergency you know things happen it's not just about not working and having a dry spell other things ha can happen to take you away from work and uh having some money saved up is always a smart thing you know having a, a good presence on social media is important uh nowadays and building a community around yourself is very important. And that's not just with clients. It's actually probably more so with your fellow artists, because although they may be your greatest uh, competition, they're also your greatest allies. So keeping your community alive and supported and um, giving where you can back to your community is important. And I, I would just say, you know, in those down times too, it can be like quicksand, you know, if you start to feel like uh, negative about it. So I wouldn't dwell there too often if possible. I just try to keep busy. Do creatives because, you know, your, your portfolio, your social media, all that stuff has to stay looking fresh. So I've changed careers a lot. <laughs> like I'm just, a, I've discovered there's a name for it. It's a multi-potentialite or multi-passionate. Was there anything else you ever wanted to do? 
I think in, in, I'm a little bit like you in the way that my job changes daily. So yes, I am showing up and doing makeup, but I don't know if I'm doing beauty or special effects or, you know, working with somebody for a red carpet or it changes all the time. And the people that I'm seeing change all the time. So I never get bored. And on the side, because it is an art and a visual art, I also, I paint and I take drawing classes and I do things like that as well. Just not for money. I don't think anyone will buy one of my paintings. And theater as well. I went to theater school and stuff. So I, you know, it's always been about the arts in some way, which it sounds like for you too. Um, similar. When it comes to my career, I just never, um, I understand where for some people that they, they, uh, want to be able to kind of multi, uh, it's not multitask. That's not the right word. You would probably be better at describing this. I've learned a lot since, since I just, it was a TED talk. It was fantastic. There, I'm like, oh my gosh, she's describing me of how you'd be, okay, I want to be a lawyer. And I'd put all my energy into that. I'd go to law school and then I'd get bored. And then I wanted to be in a punk rock band. So I put all my effort into that. And she just went on and on about, I'm like, oh my God, that's me. Like, I loved makeup when I was doing it. I did it for a long time. But I think I've discovered my why is I just always want to be around the arts and performers. But what I do in that world changes because I get bored. I get bored. And also I get you have so many different interests. Like there's a million things I want to do and I can't do it all. So <laughs> that's frustrating. When you have too many interests. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. I for sure. I really relate to what you're saying, but I think that because I'm challenged so often in my job, but it's how I have set up my career where, where it's been, um, you know, a lot of people just do bridal, for example. And that is amazing for them. I would die. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I like doing it sometimes. But, uh, you know, if, if I was just doing the one thing all the time and, and I'm kind of, um, I'm very lucky because I've kind of, I, I work in different genres of makeup all the time. I still work in the fashion world and I still do editorials and I, but I do TV and film sometimes and I, you know, it's, it's always different. Whereas some people will pigeonhole themselves into just one thing. And I think that if that's what I was doing, if I was only doing body paintings for the rest of my career, I think I would maybe start to go a little cuckoo. I mean, on the side, I do, I, I really want to say do do, but I'm a 12 year old boy and it's going to make me laugh. <laughs> I do do other things. I like writing and you know, and I, I actually kind of collaborate with some of the writers on some of the shows that I work with on occasion. And that's kind of a an underlying passion of mine that maybe some day in the future, you know, I, I don't really make these like specific kind of goals for myself. I just do what makes me feel good and what keeps me satiated and things that I try to align myself with people that elevate me. and um give me a sense of integrity about what I'm working on. And I think as long as I continue to do that, then I will remain happy in what I'm doing. And and I'm never sure where that's going to take. And I'm okay with that. 
if, if suddenly I write something and, and it works out and people pay attention to it or that would be great. But if it doesn't, that, that's okay too, because I have other things that also keep me happy and creatively fulfilled and stuff. So. Yeah. But it's cool to have like a, a, a newer interest that maybe, you know, you can start doing little by little and see what happens. Yeah. Well, I think to what you're saying though, I think it's important to not sort of plug away at something. If you're bored by it, something's wrong. You, you got to either look into, um, you have to inspire yourself. If you're, if you know in the back of your mind that you're very passionate about that one specific thing and you keep going back to it, even though you stray from it for a little while, you keep going back to it. You never should feel like you're plugging away at it. Being inspired sometimes takes work. Everyone thinks that you just sit there and inspiration, you know, comes down like a butterfly and lands on your shoulder, which it does sometimes, but you got to feed it and you got to work for it. It's a muscle. It's a muscle that you have to work out. I think that's the same with anything. Well, anything, but also anything creative, you know, you have to make it a practice. Yeah. And, but if it's something that you're practicing and practicing and it always feels wrong <laughs> or you always feel bored, then, you know, maybe it's time for you to, to, to reassess. And I think the multi-potentiality thing is that we kind of throw ourselves in to a certain topic because we're just like thirsty for knowledge and, and dive right in. And then it takes us a while to figure out that maybe it's not what we want to do long term, but, you know, we just are so obsessed at that time. And then then it kind of loses interest. And then, oh, something shiny over there. <laughs> we have a new interest. But that's what makes it passionate. Right. But that's okay, too, because you acquire all that knowledge. Yeah, and it all comes together. You know, it's like it, that's actually great. And this is the stuff that makes human beings incredible. All, all of that experience and all of those tangents that we go on all the time. And, and you know, it's um, one thing that f I think freelancing has taught me in a way is that the future being unknown is a gift. <laughs> Whereas before, I used to look at the future being unknown and be terrified. Um, but, you know, the future being unknown can take a, on any shape. And um, the potential for that is astonishing and, you know, terrifying and exhilarating. So that's one thing that freelancing has taught me is to embrace that train of thought. So I won't ask you what your five-year plan is. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, I'm, I plan to turn five years older and accumulate more dogs. I know. <laughs> Watch more Netflix. <laughs> For me, it'll be cats and maybe a dog. Yeah. I, you know, I've never done that sort of, I think that most people though, subconsciously have a, a checklist, you know, sort of a, a thing that, it, but for me, um, I don't have that sort of, you know, write it down kind of plan. Things will happen and I'll go, Oh, I just marked that off of the checklist that I didn't even realize that I had going on in my head, that you know it when you accomplish yeah, it. Yeah, something in the back of your mind that you always kind of want to achieve. Yeah, and it's it's important to always try to, um, you know, not every second of your life, like 
you know, that would be crazy, but I think it's, it's a good thing to do things that scare you a little bit. I think after a while you get used to that fear, I think, because some people look at my life and go, oh, I couldn't, I could not live that way. And I'm like, I'm just so used to it. Like the ups and downs, it's a roller coaster. What goes up must come down and vice versa. Oh yeah. And everything's cyclical. So, you know, even when it comes to really, really amazing things happening and having a really great stretch in your career where you're working a lot and you're working on all these great projects and all that kind of stuff, everything comes down again. <laughs> and, you know, this is when we were talking earlier about uh, treating people with respect. It's like, you know, well, some people are on their way up when you're on your way down and vice versa. And, but, you know, the thing is, is that even when you're like quieter, and when I say down, I don't mean that like you're, you've failed or something like that. It's just that you're, you're in um, maybe an incubation phase with your creativity or, you know, you're quieter or whatever. And especially in this industry, there's a new flavor of the week every few weeks now. And so, you know, someone's going to be like the cool person that everybody wants to work with and whatever, but then that goes away too. And then all of a sudden you're working on something that people are like, Oh yeah, remember her? She was good. Let's, uh, let's try her again. It comes back. Like it's all cyclical. And, um, I have faith in that. And so even when I sort of feel like, you know, a little trepidatious about the future, I, I have faith in, I try not to compare myself to other people too much because that can be, especially in the age of social media, I just try to, uh, be happy for other people's accomplishments, which I do genuinely feel. And I try to just do me. And I, I, the same advice that I was giving to the artists that we were talking about, about, about knowing who you are and what your thing is. You have to do that in our, in, in my field too. I ask this of everyone at the end. Uh, what is your big, big picture? Why? Why do you do what you do? What is the driving force? Um, I think that what I do marries so much of what brings me joy. So the relationships that I make and the fun that I get to have with people um, and being around people who inspire and elevate me and the hands-on work, the actual artistry, it, it marries all of those things. And that's what keeps me going every day. Cool. Any final words of wisdom? Get enough sleep. <laughs> Take care of yourself. Remember to eat. Remember to eat. I think that's a big one for, for me anyways. You know, I think for most, for most hair, hair and makeup people, remember to eat. Self-care is really important. It's, RuPaul says something like, you know, if you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? And get an amen up in here. <laughs> Wonderful. That's words to live by via RuPaul. Well, thank you for taking the time out to talk to me and being on the show. And where can people find you online? Oh, I'm Lucky Makeup across the board. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Lucky Makeup. And your website is luckymakeup.ca? Yes. It was wonderful to talk to you. You too. So nice to hear your voice. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It was so great to talk to Lucky. I hope you enjoyed the interview. She had some great things to take away from it. One important thing was treat every single person with kindness and respect. 
for auditions. She said, depends on where you're at in your career. If you're starting out, you want to be a blank slate. You want to show them that you're easy to direct. And you can add a little flavor of the character you were going out for, but keep it subtle. For musicians and performers, her advice mirrors mine in that it's important to be authentic with who you are as an artist. And when working with an image team, be vocal about what you're looking for, what you want, and don't do anything you're not comfortable with. She pointed out that building a community is important, not just with your clients, but more so with your fellow artists. Although they may seem like your greatest competition, they're also your greatest allies. One thing that was amazing was what freelancing has taught her is that the future being unknown is a gift. The future being unknown can take on any shape, and the potential for that is astonishing, terrifying, and exhilarating, and freelancing has taught her to embrace that. For more detailed show notes, visit dianefoy.com slash 004, and I'll have links to Lucky's website. And if you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, rate, and review, and share with your fellow artists. Thanks for listening to Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive. Be sure to join the mailing list at dianefoy.com to gain access to exclusive bonus content, a weekly newsletter, and an invitation to our private Facebook group of purpose-driven performing artists and industry influencers. Music.